Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 303. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Jack. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 303 you're listening to. My guest today is Steve Boffman, also known as Steve B. Steve has worked with Dr. Dre, No Doubt, Michael Jackson, and Eminem, as well as several others. And his credits include recording, mixing, mastering, and production on a wide array of projects that stretch from big band jazz to rock to hip-hop. Steve Boffman coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about holes in the schedule and what to fill those holes with. Presumably, for the next six months to a year, we're all going to continue to be stuck here in our homes. Many of us here in in the world of audio, we're going to be probably, if we haven't already set up rigs to work at home, you're probably in the process of or you're thinking about it. You're doing some kind of audio work at home, whether that's sound design, mixing, mastering, uh, audio cleanup, maybe you're doing podcasts, I don't know. You're doing audio work at home. If you've got a private studio outside of your house, maybe you're at your studio and you're doing some work there. For some of us, the work is slowed down. For some of us, the work is sped up, strangely enough. But my question is, is for the most part, is every hour of your day filled with audio work? Do you have so much audio work right now that you don't have any holes? Some of you, I'm sure, could raise your hand and say, I have no holes. It's all audio work all the time. I'm booked solid. Kudos to you. Those of you that don't have audio work blowing out every single day or some other kind of work that you're occupying yourself with, you will have holes in the schedule. What are you doing with those holes? Are you filling those holes with social media time, uh, video game time? Maybe you're reading books. Maybe you're uh, spending time with those closest to you. But I bet if I were to press you on it, I could get many of you to admit that some of those holes in the schedule you're filling with with things that you could replace with something more productive. I'm, I'm willing to bet on that. I'm not going to try to name all the possible things you all could be doing with those in, in those unproductive hours. But let me propose an alternative. Let's talk about education for a minute. Today, it occurred to me that I never actually got my transcript from City College of San Francisco, where I never completed a degree, by the way. I just went there for a few years, took some classes, built up some credit hours, kept a 3.1 GPA or 3.2 GPA, did okay, but I downloaded the transcript today and I was looking at the credit hours and I was like, huh, I'm about 27 credit hours short of a degree. I can't remember if that was a bachelor's or an associate's degree. Let's just, let's say it was an associate's degree. Anyhow, the point was, is I started to think, hmm. That, those times in the schedule, I could actually fill with taking some online classes. I could either do it at you know City College of San Francisco again, or I could uh, check out Arizona State University or some other online school. And I started to think, well, okay, what would I fill that time with? Like, what kind of classes would I take? And I thought the easy thing to do would be to take some kind of audio classes or or related broadcast or whatever classes they were that they offer. And then I thought, well, that would be that would be kind of silly. I mean, yeah, there's definitely more things to be learned in audio, but I thought, what would be the most beneficial 
for the future. And I thought, hmm, more business classes. I've already taken some, maybe taking some more, maybe taking some economics classes. Do you have to necessarily go that route? Maybe you already got a degree. No matter what you fill it with, educating yourself on something new or you know, brushing up on a certain topic, I think is a fantastic way to go. You know, maybe you're an audio person and you want to get yourself up on the world of networked audio, you know, Dante and, and all that. But maybe you also want to do like what I'm talking about, doing the business thing. Or maybe you want to consider all of my pleas to d diversify and learn something entirely new that could be another income stream for you to uh, offset your world a bit so that you don't have a single point of failure with the business in your life, the businesses in your life. So, you know, once again, you could hit the, the college route or you could sign up for LinkedIn Learning. Certainly could do that. There's a lot of courses on there. Maybe you could take some of the courses from some of my friends out there in the world, whether it's Justin Coletti or Lid Shaw or Brian Hood or Chris Salim, you know, a lot of different things out there. Now, obviously those are all, you know, audio based for the most part. But the point is, is if you are spending your time filling the holes in the schedule with social media time, playing video games, add up that time and ask yourself, if I put that same amount of time and effort into those things, into taking maybe one class a week or two classes a week, what would happen in six months? What would happen in a year, right? If you add it all up and you stay consistent with it, then you could find yourself at the end of the coronavirus situation with a degree, with a whole new skill set, with a certificate of completion for something that might apply to something else in your life. Fill in those holes with something productive that, that will benefit you, that will awaken your mind. Think about occupying your time in a more productive way. Consider learning something outside of audio that will complement your audio, audio work. If you insist on doing something in audio, try to pick up on something that is, is very future-leaning, like networked audio, like I discussed. But fill those holes with something productive. Don't just sit around and, and, and let this time slip by you, because, man, time just does not stop for any of us, right? All right, that's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Evan are two of the nicest people on the planet, easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might've met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might've heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I've used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, 
check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button, at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. That's it. Let's get to it. Steve Boffman here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. We have to thank our mutual friends, Mike Cuddy and former WCA guest, Brendan Duffy, for connecting hey, us. My former Wildcat Chico alums. That's right. So you guys all went to Chico State. We did. Yeah. When I was going there, it was a fairly new program for recording arts led by this. He was an engineer at the time, but he was a former full-time engineer down in LA, Keith Stepanen. And then Keith put together a really kind of a, a smart program, one that was a little bit ahead of its time, I think, especially for a four-year colleges. Yeah, it was a great program to go through. And like most programs, you got out of it what you put into it, but it was a smart program, really well put together. And you graduated in 95? Ooh, God, really? Didn't I? Sure. Yeah, that sounds about <laughs> right. Either 94 or 95. I think 95. I think that sounds about right. God, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to it. Yeah, that's horrible. I really should know when I graduate. Let's say 95. That sounds great. <laughs> let's, let's say 2005. <laughs> well, where did you grow up? I grew up in Northern California, so not too far away from Chico in Sacramento. And my parents were teachers. My dad was a music teacher. So I, I grew up with music and learning music you know, my whole life. When I made the decision that I wasn't going to be a performer, I looked around at different options of what I would might want to do with my life and nothing quite fit. You know, I was like, I did business at Sac State for a while. I even did some criminal justice type stuff and none of that seemed right. And then a buddy of mine told me about this program at Chico and I was like, well, it totally makes sense because even as a kid, my dad had a little four-track Fostex recorder and I would record my friends. You know, I used my walk-in closet in my bedroom as a vocal booth and I was always recording, even you know, as a teenager, I was recording people and I was always fascinated. And I remember we, my buddy Alex Budman and I, we did this audition tape for a jazz honor band and we had a Jamie Amersall backing track going on and he was improvising over that on sax. And then it bled into him switching to 
clarinet on the same track. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the people who are judging the tapes came back to her like, what are you guys doing? This is obviously a professional job. You couldn't have done this. This is, this is impossible. What did you guys do? I'm like, no, I just sat in my room, you know, <laughs> did an overdub. It's not a big deal. But they are accusing us of cheating. And, and that was kind of like my first taste of how powerful being behind the scenes and creating a project and creating a, a something and could influence people. Yeah. And so trying out criminal justice and some business stuff, how did you finally arrive at, okay, I'm going to go to school for audio because I have this four track and I enjoy using it. Right. That was kind of the leap of faith that I took at that moment. My parents were really pushing me to do something was kind of like a, a standard of everybody knows a business guy. Everybody knows someone who works in criminal justice or something that's just kind of a, a meat and potatoes job. And when I heard about this recording program, I instantly thought, oh no, that's more me. For some reason, you know, as a kid, you don't really kind of think about the people who make the albums. You just enjoy the albums. You just enjoy the music. And I really didn't really think about it as much until that point. And I'm like, oh yeah, there are people who record that and people who are producing that music and making that music. And I wanted to know more about that. And how could I get on the path to become one of those people? And after Chico State, what was it like? What what were your prospects? What were you feeling about direction of where you were going to take all this? I felt I had a great knowledge base when I came out of Chico, which it turned out I did. And I came to LA. I was getting married at the time. I got married young. I was married 21. I've been married now for 26 years. And so I asked my wife, these are the places I feel that I can go and create a career. And Los Angeles was kind of the top one. After leaving Chico and after graduating Chico, I moved down to Los Angeles and just sprinkled my resume around town. I ended up landing a job at Larrabee Studios. And that's where my real education started. Not that Chico didn't give me a a real education. Chico did. It was a great foundation. It was an amazing foundation. And it, it set me up better than everybody else who was applying for the job at the time for what I needed to do when I came into Larrabee. Hmm. Who was there at the time? Who was there as a mentor? Who influenced you at that moment? Oh man, so many people. I got so lucky. I got to work with people like Dave Bianco, who had recently passed, who was just an amazing producer. Dave Way, another tremendous producer, engineer. Tim Palmer. Hmm. I'm naming a lot of rock guys. Now the hip hop guys, I mean, they were numerous also. And then I was a white kid from Northern California. I think I had two hip hop albums in my collection. I had NWA and I had, I think, Two Life Crew. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> nasty they want to be. I think that was that was the extent of my hip hop collection in 1994, 95. And then I got thrown in with a lot of death row sessions at Larrabee and I got to work with Dre. And also I got to work with DJ Muggs and these guys that just really taught me, even Will Smith, all these guys who really taught me what good hip hop was and why it's good hip hop and what what that music meant. I was just enthralled with it. It was just like, it was finding a whole new world for me. I was like, wow. And, and then just watching Dre engineer was a treat in itself and led to me on my own little career where I ended up working for Dre for almost 10 years. Really? Yeah. And what were you doing for him? I was the other engineer. So Dre would always have two rooms going. So he had his main room where he was doing and he would be producing with people. And then most of the time he'd have people that he was either already producing or who he was grooming to produce and they would be with me. So I'd be in the room with Eminem doing all the vocals or I'd be with whoever we're working with on Aftermath at the time. And I would, the game, I think I've done every game album 
And so it was one of those things where I, I was just so fortunate to be at the right place at the right time. And I kind of was a sponge for what that sound was. And I really, really enjoyed, I love drums and especially even program drums. I just, I love live drums, but something about program drums, because it, it is such a controlled sound, I think mm -hmm. <laughs> you're able to make such a big punchiness out of it. And you just really feel the excursion of the speaker. And I think that to me is one of the things that in urban and hip hop music, I was really attracted to. So Dr. Dre, wow, what a career highlight for you. I mean, what are some of the takeaways from not just audio, but business, life? What did he teach you? Yeah, you know, work ethic is one of the biggest things, I think, with Dre. He's relentless, that guy. He'll keep someone in the vocal booth until the cows come home. That it has to be right. He's perfectionist on that. And he also taught me a lot about collaboration. He almost works as an orchestra conductor in the room when he's producing. He'll have four or five guys and you know, he'll have a basic drum pattern or something going on. And then he'll have four or five guys all working motifs. And he'll be like, yeah, yeah, I like that. Except do this, take out that note or do that. And then he'll go over to the bass guy and like, oh yeah, yeah. It was Mike Elizondo, whoever it was. And be like, oh yeah, no, I love that bass line, but maybe just simplify it just a little bit. And he's just kind of working the room that way where he goes around and, and everybody's kind of just kind of jamming, playing their part to this basic beat until he feels like he's got something. And then he's, then he kind of like just compiles that all together. So his collaborative nature taught me a lot of how important it is to know that it's not just me. It's all everybody else that's in part of this project that really makes this project special. Now, I know that in hip hop, I mean, this is my own perception. In hip hop, there appears to be a lot of strong personalities. So <laughs> when it comes to handling personalities, what did you learn from Dre about that? I mean, he's worked with Snoop Dogg, Eminem. Yeah. You know, he's in a unique position because he's definitely the alpha almost in any room that he steps into. So what I did learn is how to be assertive without offending people <laughs> to a certain degree. I'm a very sarcastic person and sometimes my passive aggressiveness maybe is a little overwhelming. I think it also came up through an era of time that I came up in the studio. You respected the wood area. So there's an area of behind the board that's all a wooden so the chairs can glide across. And as an assistant, you would almost ask permission to step into that area because that area is designated only for the engineer, the producer, and the artist they have free reign over there. But as an assistant, I respected it. I kind of kept my distance. If I was asked in to help out with something, I came over and I did it. So getting back to Dre, or what I learned maybe from him is just when I need to be the alpha like Dre usually is almost in every situation, I learned not only to demand that, otherwise you have chaos going on in your room. You kind of have to like, no, your position is right here and own it. And I want you to own it, but let's not confuse everybody else by just having a free for all in here. Is that difficult to establish that that position? It can be. I find it with age, it's becoming less and less of a problem. It's something I, I've had the fortune of working on lots of albums that did very well. So I can always pull that card out at any moment. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize, kid that's 17 years old, you've worked on multi-million selling albums. You know, they're like, oh, I didn't. You know, like, yeah. So maybe <laughs> we should try it this way first. And then, yes. I want to hear your idea. I want to hear what you want to say and I'm not going to shut you down, but let's at least establish that there's a way sometimes to do this. You spend a big chunk of time with Dre. Where do you go from there? Yeah. After leaving Dre, there was a weird transition period where I was still one foot in, one foot out because I was still working with 50 Cent. I did pretty much all of his records and it was trying to establish myself on my own. And because I mean, working with Dre, you're just, as I say, you're just working, working, working and it's every day, it's 16, 18 hour days. You don't sleep a lot. 
And so it was kind of refining my life and refining balance a little bit again. I was big on that after coming out of the uh, out of that situation. And I did for the most part rebalance a little better, I think. And I set boundaries for myself and rules on like all right, Sunday really I should just not feel obligated to go into the studio. I, I should feel, yeah, I can spend time with my family and watch my boys who are now grown men grow up. That's an interesting point because, I mean, you're working these long hours. How did you manage the work-life balance? You got, you said you got married very early. Obviously, you had kids at a roughly early age, I assume. Yeah. I mean, I think historically it was a normal to have my first kid at 25, but yeah, yeah I, I'm fortunate just to have an amazing wife. To be honest with you, on a number of levels, she's she's understanding. And since we kind of grew up together, we kind of figured this whole thing out together. But at the same time, you know, you, you have to have someone that's pretty patient and pretty understanding to put up with the schedule and the lifestyle that I had. But beyond that, she also brought to the table stability. She works at UCLA and, and she's an administrator and she has health insurance. And she's it's like this stability to the family that without my wife, my career would be unattainable. I don't know. I always question guys who are able to do this and like without something like that in their lives. I'm like, man, how do you guys even do it? <laughs> like paying for health insurance alone is like, ah, I like, know. I don't even, I'm like, and you live in Los Angeles and pay rent and like it's, it's. And have kids. Yeah. And kids. Yeah. And like, and I, that's one of the things I know I am privileged to have a partner in this whole process with me. Who's just kind of established just that comfort zone for me. So your kids are grown and out of the house. You're an empty nester at this point. <laughs> out of the house. Is, you know, in this time of Corona, it's been a little bit hard. My oldest kid just graduated from UC Santa Cruz with a degree in physics. And right before this whole Corona thing happened and he was applying to grad schools and you know, he didn't like, quite get the grad school combination he wanted. So now he's applying for one out in Japan. He's still at home. So I have my, my oldest son and his girlfriend living with us. <laughs> and then my, my youngest son. <laughs> who is going to UC Santa Barbara, but he can't go there in person at the moment. So he's also at home. So yeah, our house is full. Fortunately, we have a decent sized house. <laughs> we can all kind of hide in our own little places in the house and we're not really stepping on each other's toes too much. Back to the record making for a bit. Working in the world of hip hop, does that pigeonhole you? Were you excluded from rock records that you wanted to work on? I did kind of get known as a, and I still am, a sort of type of engineer. And I've I work on passion projects outside of it. I've got these great friends that are just so musical and I, I do their projects. I just got done doing this big band project and I've done multiple, multiple big band projects. But my buddy, Alex Budman, who I was telling you from my childhood was in my closet. He and his partner, Jeremy Levy, I've done a couple of albums with them. And then Jeremy recently did The Planets Reimagined. And man, is it a fantastic big band jazz album. It's the Holst Planets Reimagined in a big band jazz format. And his his arrangements on it are just, just tremendous. It's getting... a really great reviews. You know, I mean, the Chicago Tribune just did a review on it and it's getting around and I'm really happy for him because it is a fantastic project. And that the planets, I think, had a big impact on John Williams. Yeah. Without Hulse planets, there would be no Star Wars themes or anything like that. Yeah. He definitely borrows, let's say, yeah. <laughs> quotes almost to a certain degree, Hulse quite a bit. So yeah, it's definitely one of those pieces. And then Jeremy's reimagining of it, it's no more less relevant. And at the same time, it just has so many great grooves and swings all of a sudden. You're like, whoa, that's crazy. I, <laughs> I love it that you've spent all this time in the world of hip hop and now you're making these big band records. Yeah. And then, you know, I have these great singer songwriter friends and I've done a few records around the world. This woman I work with out of, she was an LA staple, Ruby Friedman. 
And she, I mean, I just so enjoy doing records and collaborating with her. And I've got all sorts of pet projects, I would say, I call them, that I do. And they're usually outside of the hip hop world. I would say 90% of those projects are. Now you could spend all this time in the world of hip hop and be on these definitely like historical records, but you could still come out of that and not have any work. Am I off base in saying that? Yeah. I mean, it's a constant keeping up with relationships, constant, hey, I'm over here still. Because if you're not a squeaky wheel in this or you don't have, like, I don't have a group of people behind me being a squeaky wheel for me. It's just me. So there's these engineer producers out there who they do and they're smart. And like, I wish I was smart enough to do that. I kind of maintain my lane and I've, I've been in it, but it is, you're right. You could be on these albums and then just never be heard of again if you're not keeping up your relationships. And how do you do that? How do you maintain the relationships? How do you maintain the work level? Mainly it is just reaching out to people. It is just being seen, going to events, going to places that you know people who are going to be working are at. Sometimes I would just show up to studio sessions, like, hey, we're doing a studio, man. I'll just go in just somebody else's studio session. <laughs> and then knowing that they're going to eventually need this thing mixed or whatever. But a lot of times it's just a reach out on Facebook or Instagram saying, yo, that's a great project. You guys are doing great stuff. Like, oh man, I forgot about you, Steve. I definitely want you to get on this other thing. I'm like, all right, great. And that leads to the, the next thing. In episode 300, Andrew Sheps talked about making a conscious decision to be visible, to do as mm -hmm. much of the videos and the appearances and the podcasts as he could to make sure to maintain that awareness. I think Andrew is very smart in doing that. Yeah, he's just definitely so much better at getting out there and I'm appreciative of doing something like this. You know, I'm like, oh, wow, look, this guy wants to talk to me. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> where do you continue to seek inspiration? You know, I know you and I are both fans of Andrews, but where else do you seek inspiration for the craft of audio? Lately, it's mainly been as young people. I'm currently working with some kids that my oldest son went to high school with and they recorded a lot of stuff out of their bedroom and all this necessity that they had of needing to get stuff out, but not the quote unquote traditional way of being able to do it and hearing what they're doing and how they're doing it. And I get to pipe in and give my two cents every once in a while. Oh, here, I think you could do this or do that. But man, hmm. just watching the young kids come into their own without really kind of the formal training like that I had, seeing the sounds that they're coming up with and the things that they're using, that's, that's always fun. That's an inspiration to me. The kids, the kids are my The kids these days. <laughs> Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. 
There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Samply.app. Check it out. What constitutes success in your life? How do you wake up in the morning and say, ah, I'm successful at this, or I feel fulfilled and and successful in this area? What does it for you? I am trying to be more of happiness, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) and as much as I try to say that, I know it's not all true. I love working on a lot of the big projects and sometimes I get a big project's just amazing. I worked on this kid, Roe, who had just an amazing R&B album and there's been a few other great albums. And there's sometimes there's just stuff that you have to do that's just work. I do enjoy knowing that I'm working on a bunch of stuff that is just for me. Mm-hmm. If it does well, it does well. Great. And I'm even happier. But if it doesn't do well, I still felt it was good. And that makes me happy. I'm doing this project with this kid out of... He's not really a kid. He's a grown man out of Cuba. I did a project down in Cuba and his style and his way of rapping is like nobody else I've heard. And we're incorporating live instruments and things the way I've never really heard before. And it's so much fun. I'm doing this with my partner. I'd have a production company with Alex Elena. Everything I do with Alex usually is just for me and for my happiness. And that's what makes me feel successful. Like that I get those opportunities Mm -hmm. to be able to do something like that. And that means that I have made it in my own mind. I've got Grammys and Grammy nominations and stuff like that. That was cool. Thank you. Thank you. I really like that. That was really cool. (laughs) But that's not my goal. My goal is just to make projects that I feel good about. The way you speak about it, I sense your passion for the projects that you work on. And going back to the beginning of our conversation where you tried your hand at criminal justice and some business stuff. How have you handled the business of audio in your years? And are you at a point where you have a system in place and you you know what you're doing or is it still a work in progress? Sadly, it is still a work in progress. I am not a business guy. Fortunately, once again, I have my wife Mm. who helps me with books, does all these things. She knows how to use Excel and she keeps me on some sort of path. I am awful at it. I am not good. I wish I was better. I think, you know, as a lot of people who think maybe with one side of their brain too much in the artistic world, I feel like I'm a fairly balanced brain thinker. But yeah, I am too scattered. I have the pile method of filing, you know. (laughs) Oh, it's in that pile over there. And it's on that little yellow piece of paper that I cut into a triangle. That's the number you need. (laughs) My wife's like, so yeah, no, my business acumen is probably I would consider poor. I wish I was better. And is that something you're actively working on or have you, it's not a trick question, but have you accepted that, you know, some people say I'm bad at math and that's just how it is. Are you actively working to change that? To a certain degree? Yes. I mean, I'm always, okay, that didn't work. Oops. I made a mistake. I got to figure out not to do that again. That sort of thing, which (laughs) is just kind of life. Okay. I'm probably not spending as much time on it as I should. I probably would be a lot more successful of an engineer producer if I did. And I know that and it, it is one of those things that's always kind of just like, ah, why didn't I figure out this out better? But at the same time, I'm not really shy for work. You know what I mean? So I'm already I'm like, well, I'm kind of working a lot. And if I worked more, maybe I'd be less happy. I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I always have these two things pulling and pushing. 
I should be doing better or, well, I'm actually doing pretty good. Uh, no, you really should be doing better. And so I, I don't know where that tipping point is, where yeah. I probably should explore the more successful side because obviously I haven't done that very well yet. <laughs> well, based on what you do know, and you've been at this a while, there, there's no doubt about that. And you've definitely mm-hmm. learned some lessons. I, I know you must have. So oh, of course, regardless of what you practice on your own, what's your mm-hmm. advice to others in dealing with finances and business if you're going to be an audio professional, no matter the audio discipline? A, realize that all that money you're being paid is not all your money you got to make sure you pay your taxes Mm. and you don't want to get caught behind on that. Really understanding how much to set aside. And then also on top of that, knowing that you might be super busy for six, seven, eight weeks, and then not super busy for six weeks. And you got to eat still in those six weeks. And when you're your own sole proprietor, you really got to have this plan in your head of like, all right, all this money that's coming in is not really my money. I got to pay myself a little something over here. Yeah, sure. That's my fun money. But Everything else, got to make sure I can pay my rent, my groceries, and make sure those taxes are taken care of. Otherwise, the tax man will get you. You know, I have a realization that I made within the last few years about gear in that sometimes I'll see a piece of gear and I think that I want it. But in reality, I've learned that I just want to try it and I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily want to own it because Mm -hmm. I'll get something. I'll spend the money and it shows up and I'm like, all right, it's here. Now what? All right, well, let's try it. Oh, that's cool. All right. Hmm. How's that going to work in my workflow? And I come to the realization that I just wanted to look at it. I just wanted to try it and see how it sounds and then move on. Yeah. I'm a very minimalist when it comes to gear and even plugins. If you look at a lot of my sessions, my sessions are, as a mix engineer, I'm a big proponent of balance of how does this all work in balance? If something needs fixing and or, you know, I reach for a piece of gear and I reach for a, a plugin or whatever it is at the moment, or if it needs character or it needs something, I reach for it. But for the most part, I rely on balance and relationships in space in my mixing. Therefore, my gear collection is fairly minimal. I don't really need that much. I, I got the things that I know I need and things I need, use all the time. Mm-hmm. But besides that, I don't need. I'm like you. I, I came to the realization, I, I'll mainly try that. And now can I fit that into the thing that I'm using, the, the situation I'm using? Mm, I kind of can, but I kind of can. I won't use it that much. All right, I probably don't need it. But if I can, then I'll buy it. There's been things now that I like, oh God, how did I live without it? Like in mastering, I love my better maker say, <laughs> like, like I love that thing. And I think it's great. And I'm like, wow, you know, like, it helps me out on so many things to get to the level where I wanted it to be before I had to manipulate it into a digital realm. Now I can't f- figure out how I would live without that sort of thing. Do you have to resist when it comes to gear? Not really. No, I just like every other engineer and producer I am, a guy just loves gear. And I, who doesn't love when, when a package comes to your door and you get it open like it's Christmas and you're like, oh, look at this. This is like so many pretty knobs. And I, I love playing and I love fiddling. But if I can't figure out how to incorporate it into my already existing working plan that I have or setup I have, I don't feel the necessary, you know, like just to have it, just to look at it. If I'm not using it, why do I have it? Exactly. I think it gets easier as as I get older to prioritize and go, I don't really want to get that. If I do, I'm going to have to buy a bunch of cables and then I got to put it in the rack and route the cable. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little less that way with plugins. I don't mind having a bunch of plugins I hardly ever use because I might've just used it that one time and it was useful that one time. That's right. I'm like, well, that that justified (laughs) it. I, I used it that one time and it was great. But then there's ones that I buy and I'm like, God, how did I ever, I don't know if you ever used the Surfer 2 EQ, the Sound Radix. I love that thing. It's made my life so much easier. I'm constantly using that EQ. 
Yeah, you talk to other engineers in the topic of plugins, and everybody's like super passionate about it. It's like, oh, I only use this CQ or this DSer, and, mm-hmm. and you're using your set, and then you try theirs, and that can be its own rabbit hole. But it's an easier rabbit hole to, I feel, resist because yeah. it's like, oh, 30 days is up. I don't need that. Yeah. Then there's been a few that I've been pressured into getting because I just get so many sessions with it and the sound is so much that. And then I'm glad I have them. The Fab Filter was one of those. Mm. I got the whole package because I kept on getting so many sessions with Fab Filter stuff on it. And a lot of it was being automated and things like that. And I'm like, well, all right, let me see what's going on with that. And I, I absolutely do love their stuff. Their Fab Filter stuff is amazing stuff. Outside of audio, what do you do? Hobbies, entertain yourself, and that would include health or exercise or the lack thereof. <laughs> Before this pandemic, I, I used to be a fairly going to the gym type guy. Now the gym thing's been kind of taken out. So the wife and I really do enjoy hikes. We do a lot of hiking. And once again, now the smoke has, I know. <laughs> has kind of ruined our hiking situation. But it turns out that outside of music, I'm a family guy. I want to spend time with my wife and my kids as much as possible. We're a pretty close-knit family. So we always do little mini vacations, you know, a little like, oh, let's go up the coast and rent a condo on the beach for a little bit and that sort of thing. Just, we don't need to go far sometimes. It's just about being together. Mm -hmm. Just doing life in general. Yeah, just life in general. And interestingly enough, outside of music, I mean, I guess my other hobby in outside of music is music. <laughs> you know, like really, it's, <laughs> I know. It's sadly, that is, that is my other hobby. My hobby, like, what, what do I do with my spare time? As I told you earlier, I do a lot of my pet projects, things I know I'm not going to get paid on or things I, right. but I, I, but I enjoy them so much. <laughs> that is my hobby. I am a sad, sad person. My recent <laughs> hobby is field recording. So yeah, it's like just another version of recording. You're like, oh yeah, I'm expanding my universe by going outside. Right. <laughs> I'm going outside. Well, so just, I have to clarify too, for listeners outside of the United States or for listeners in the United States who don't watch the news, California has got a crazy amount of fires. Steve's in Southern California. I'm in Northern California. There's a lot of fires, so there's a lot of smoke. And in fact, we have our doors yeah. open here for the first time today because we got word that the air quality is finally okay today. It's not great down here. I think we're in the high 400s today. If you ever look at the air quality index, like 500 is like death. Right, uh, <laughs> right. We're like, we're at like the 480 right, right now. Or something. <laughs> 480, like, you know, 481. Yeah, yeah, it's something awful. It's sad, this whole thing. It really is, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I don't want to get any political or environmental on anybody, but people get enough of that if they ever unfortunately follow me on Facebook because I'm not very shy about that. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's I'm seeing it in my family. Like everybody feels like it was already kind of like, oh, we're stuck inside because of COVID. And now we're really, really stuck inside because we can't go outside and enjoy anything. And so like, I'm seeing the cabin fever in my own household being stepped up a lot. I'm fortunate. I get out almost every day and come to my studio where it's just me by myself in my <gasps> magic little room wow. <laughs> making sounds, you know? And right. I've somehow maintained on what I usually do where I do see with my wife, my kids, a little bit of like, Ah, we need to get out of here. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, I could handle the pandemic aspect, but the smoke thing just, I think that finally started to psychologically work its negative magic on me because I was just like, oh my God, I can't go out and walk like I normally do. Right. And that keeps that keeps me sane. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you, you don't want to feel like a prisoner in your own house. <laughs> Nobody does. No. And this whole situation, especially out here in the West Coast, has really gotten us that way, sadly. Thankfully, we have great firefighters, and I'm hoping that this whole situation somehow gets under control. And I feel thankful, as I'm sure you do, that our house is standing. I mean, yeah, there's so many more 
way more unfortunate people in our immediate, <laughs> like you can almost reach out right now and touch somebody and like, oh, that poor person has gotten really affected by it. There's so many people affected out here. Do you ever get burned out on audio? Not on the audio. There's a lot of times where I'd be burnt out on songs or actual music, a certain type of music, but I do love the puzzle of audio and how do I put it together and how do I make it sound better? Even if I'm able to completely ignore the lyrics or whatever is going on, the sonic puzzle still intrigues me and still keeps me excited about what I'm working on. And I'll find something good in your music. I'll find something that I'm like, oh yeah, this is really kind of cool. Oh, hmm. man, what if we did that? Oh yeah, that's cool. All right. You know, and, and it, it keeps me interested. How do you handle slowdowns in work? My own projects. Uh. I, yeah. <laughs> if it slows down, then I put throw in my, my own projects and my passion projects take forefront until actual work comes in. And I'm like, oh, got to work. Then <laughs> I go back to making money. The mistakes that you've made over the years, has there ever been one that has really stuck with you that you learned a big lesson from that you carry with you to this day? Yeah, there was a moment where I did an interview for Scratch Magazine, and I didn't ask the guy to give me back what the written part was he was going to publish. And it caused a rift between myself and Dre because I said I was one of Dre's engineers, which I was, but at the same time, I wasn't Dre's engineer. That was my buddy Mauricio Irigori, who I'm still partners with at the studio in the mastering. But Dre's like, you're not my engineer. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't say that. And they misquoted me and they made it kind of sound like I was the guy that was Dre's guy. Quote unquote, I was a Dre guy. I was one of the guys working in the larger camp, but I wasn't his guy. And I totally see where Dre came from that. And so I always am very careful sometimes on being free with those type of things. And I'm making sure that I'm attributing things correctly because people's work is important and people should be acknowledged for what they do and who, who they are and not overstate what they do or leave out the people that are actually doing the work. That's interesting that Dre took the time to read it. Yeah. Yeah. At the moment in time, at that time, there was other things going on in his life and other things that he kind of wanted to get done. But I think it was a fairly valid point. And I think after that, I left that aftermath area and kind of went off on my own. It's not that Dre would, if Dre saw me today, he'd be, hey, Steve, you know, and I'd be, oh, hey, Dre. You know, and it wouldn't, you know, we're not, you know. <laughs> He's not harboring any enemy. resentment. We're not mortal enemies or anything like that. It's just, it's more of a, you got to be careful that you're, you're attributing yourself the right way and not overstating what you're doing. You know, and I, and I failed to even ask you about Next Level Mastering. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a company that Mauricio, Irigori, and myself put together, and it's been great. It's a slow burn. It's one of those things that we're not mastering all the records in the world, but we are mastering a good amount, and we have great feedback. People tend to really enjoy working with us, and it's been a, been a really positive experience. It was an experience that this whole idea that Mauricio and I had to create the company was because the mastering engineers were, that we were working with were either retiring or it was a change of the guard at the moment, and so we are like, well... We've been doing this a long time. We go to all the mastering sessions and we kind of know what's going on and we end up putting a lot of our own fingerprints on those masters. So let's put together the company the way we want to do it. And that's really where Next Level was born out of. And it seems to be, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm looking at the pricing. Is this kind of an automated thing where there's not that much phone calling going on? No, 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 no. It's it's not automated. Both of us usually put our ears on it on most of the masters that we do. Just to be clear, when I say automated, it's like people can 
upload the stuff. You guys actually do right. do the right. work. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 a lot of most. Yeah, ninety percent of our work is remote. Like people just upload the files to us. And then to be honest with you, even our our current pricing even has changed. It used to be like we do it at like a package price. Like here, three hundred bucks, and you get all this stuff. Like, and then we found that most of our clients didn't really need a lot of the stuff, and an a la carte was a little bit of a better functionality for them. So now we do. All right, here the masters this any version is this, it ends up being a little cheaper for them than what was actually on the, the webpage originally, where they maybe were paying 300 bucks for this whole package. Now, if they're doing, you know, it's like 150 for the master and then $25 for each version. Oh, okay. And so it's like, if you only got two versions, that's another 50 bucks. And now you're only looking at $200 and spend the $300 that you're doing. Well, I'll, I'll make sure and put a link in the show notes to this. Yeah. I'm just sitting here staring at it and, and taking it all in. It's definitely a way to work on a more worldwide level as opposed to a local level, because absolutely, you know, no matter where yeah. you are in the globe, you'll see this and you can have access to you and Mauricio. Yeah. And fortunately, we do get a lot of work. I'm working with people from Japan, Brazil. It's all sorts of stuff comes in from all over the world, which is it's kind of fun. You know, it's, it's great to have some sort of worldwide presence in the intertubes. <laughs> <laughs> where can people find out more about you? Is it primarily at Next Level or are there other locations? Next Level is the best one. My production company I talked about with my partner, Alex, Elena, and myself, that's called Two Beard Productions. <laughs> that's, that's another little arm that's easy to reach us out. Both of them have little click-throughs to either email us or our social media or on my Twitter, I'm at Intimixin. And it's the same for my Instagram. I'm sure we'll, I'll send you a little link that you can pop on. If anybody wants to get a hold of me, they always can do it through social media. Oh yeah, I'll include all your links there so people can can reach out to you if they want to talk to you and, and work with you. Fantastic. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you think we should address or talk about or anything like that? I mean, we didn't get into any geopolitical conversations, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll have our foreign policy discussion next time. Exactly. Because <laughs> everybody needs to know that for me. That's right. My Facebook friends would probably tell you that, God, I wish you would shut up about it. Yeah. Audio engineers <laughs> on foreign policy. It's a new show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, no, this is great. I really appreciate you reaching out and appreciate Mike Cuddy and apparently Brendan. Who, yeah, uh, apparently Brendan uh, did it first and I, and I didn't right. quite well, get we'll, it together. We'll, we'll, see, I'm big on giving credit. Reddit, way to go. <laughs> well, very cool. Great meeting you and thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Once again, thank you. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Steve Boffman here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Make sure you stop by iTunes and leave a review. Make sure you subscribe via your favorite podcast aggregator and stop on by workingclassaudio.com and have a look around. That's it. Let's thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plo on the editing, Cliff Truesdell for the Working Class Audio theme song, and the magical, mystical voice of Chuck Smith. Connect with me on LinkedIn. And until next time, take care. 
Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out. 